but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. The infrequency with which we are delivering <laughs> these episodes. Apologies. This this is one of our less active Octobers, I would say. We don't usually go two weeks between episodes. I feel like we'd been pumping them out in August and September. Then October hit. We took a, a trip back to Rochester. I felt mm-hmm. like a lot of stuff was just going on. And then it also dovetailed with not-so-exciting stuff on the calendar for us. <laughs> Would you say? Uh, was, is that accurate? Well, I feel like we say that a little too often. I'm usually uh, the one telling you not to say that. I know. You know, the, the Masters event in Shanghai was is one of the supersized Masters. It lasts a long time. It's hard to follow where you are in the tournament. To me... These have been a momentum stopper from the beginning. Absolutely, because so many of these tournaments were ending on what Tuesday or when no, they weren't just starting the Wednesday prior and then ending on a Sunday as usual. The end dates were weird as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, and I know we've had Indian Wells in Miami uh, longer than seven days for for years and years, but I don't know. I at some point I imagine we'll get used to it, but. I just don't, I do not enjoy the push to expand more Masters, even more, you know, expanding Cincinnati in the future. It's just, it seems like it's happening at the expense of smaller tournaments. The other thing with this time of year for me is that you have a small, smallish group of players that are really pushing hard mm-hmm. to either make the year in championships or Zhuhai or bring their ranking up inside a certain threshold so that it's easier at the start of next year to get into the Australian tournaments, to get into the Australian Open. Leila Fernandez getting close to seeding territory. Right. And then there are players who are, pardon my language, just fucking off. Like, (laughs) and that's where I would be if I'm a top 50 player this time of year. No, totally. I'd be planning my vacations. I would be, you know, oh, here's a a loss to Grigor Dimitrov. If I'm Carlos Alcaraz, and I'm not too bothered about it, right? It's one of those open secrets about sports is that uh, week in and week out, you can't give your full 100 percent at every tournament. You just don't. Even the best players get, sometimes get to a tournament and are just like Ugh, this again. And sometimes shock losses are not shock losses; they're just lack of motivation, mental preparation. To the point of lack of motivation, the tour is predicated around these four big events. Mm -hmm. And they're done. After the first week of September, by mid-September, that's that's done with. So if you've built your entire career, year, schedule around peaking for these four tournaments, it holds water to me that some of these top guys would have less than stellar results in this time of year. Mm -hmm. And women. But... I mean, traditionally, this is Novak Djokovic's bread and butter this fall season. But at his age and with his accomplishments, he does not have to play here. But it gives a lot of opportunities to players who are really trying to make their name, which we've seen over the past few weeks. And 37-year-old players who are just out here trying to uh, make their name again. Or extend their records. Mm Mm-hmm. Gael Monfils, what is it, 17 consecutive seasons making a final in the ATP 19. Tour? 19. 19. 19. Damn. It's a second. He tied himself with Jimmy Connors and Rafa Nadal. The Roger Federer is the only person who has more. He has 20 consecutive seasons with an ATP final appearance. And with this long, expansive career, it's only his 12th career title. And going back to the start of this podcast... That may seem like a lot. If we, if you told us that he'd be at 12 now, back then, we'd be like, good for you, Gail, because his finals record was <laughs> horrendous for such a long time. It was. He has lost 22 finals. And there were a few streaks there that were pretty discouraging. He goes from number 140 in the world. Remember all that 
hullabaloo at Labor Cup, questioning mm. his presence there. Oh, he's ranked 100 and something. Are you talking about me? <laughs> he's Not up- that I would, don't, want him to, don't want to see him there, but... Right. He's now up to number 89. He played a Russian named Pavel Kotov in the final. He's a 25-year-old who was ranked 109 before this tournament. And that week, he had wins over Chris Eubanks... Lorenzo Sonego, Greekspor, and Ketsmanovic to reach the final against Mofiz and played a great final. I think over two and a half hours long. It was a week of black excellence, period, point blank. It was. You had the main tour performers, and then you also had Taylor Townsend winning again on the lower level. Right. Taylor is a big proponent of playing in the ITFs. She's already explained why. We're not going to explain it again. <laughs> but she won an ITF in Macon, Georgia this past week. Won one two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She's playing again this week. A stone's throw from her career high ranking of, what, 61? Mm-hmm. Which she achieved before the pandemic, shortly before the pandemic. This week, she's at, what, 65, 66? 66. She's also number six in doubles. But back to, we were starting with the men. Arthur Fies made his second career final in Antwerp, which is the European Open. I don't know how they got the European Open title. That's pretty special. You know what makes me crazy is like when tournaments have names and I can't immediately associate it with a city. The China Open? I don't know why it gives me so much trouble. Logically, the China Open is in Beijing, the capital. So why do I have to look it up every time? Well, (laughs) that's a you problem. (laughs) It it certainly is. But in Antwerp, uh, Alexander Bublik wins the title, beating Fies. uh, Gross. Anyway, but Arthur Arthur beat Stefano Tsitsipas in two tiebreak sets in the semifinals. Stefanos is currently vying for a spot in the ATP World Tour Finals. Not secure yet. You're just going to gloss over who he won the doubles with? Who? At that tournament, Stefanos? I was, yes. He only plays doubles with one person. (laughs) I was actually going to gloss over it. (laughs) Stefanos and Petros won doubles. Petros has entered the top 100 in doubles. That's that good silver spoon. Mm -hmm. It'll get you places. Uh, that's we call it growth it's because you still have to win the matches it's fed him well <laughs> as frank ocean once said <laughs> i know bublik is a fan favorite in a lot of corners on twitter but a lot uh, some corners mm. Mm. it's uh no Mm-mm. no thank you because no. i <laughs> because somebody translated what he says on court and it's truly disgusting it's over and over and over mm-hmm. it's not a one-off incident it's a pass. Ben Shelton, keeping the girlies mad and pressed. <laughs> ben Shelton seems dedicated uh, this fall to making sure everyone realizes it wasn't a fluke at the U.S. Open. Reaching the quarters at the Masters event in Shanghai and now winning the title in Tokyo. Well, also the Australian Open. Yes, yes. Because he had that quarterfinal run in Australia at the Australian Open and then nothing. For months upon months upon months. Mm. So people felt his ranking was inflated because he wasn't achieving at that same level. He obviously likes big stages. And, but like his fellow players, in Francis especially, has said like he doesn't even know what he's doing yet. <laughs> right? Like he's still putting this together. This is all based on kind of natural ability and grit. So pretty much the entirety of his ranking was based off of the Australian Open, and then the semifinal run at the U.S. Open. But the fall is where he's now kind of solidified his place week to week on tour. Still on one surface, mm-hmm. but it's progression. It's his first title, obviously. He beat uh, two Americans on the way. Actually, no, three Americans. Uh, Mackie McDonald, Tommy Paul, Marcos Giron. You didn't say that correctly. <laughs> Marcos Giron. Marcos Giron. <laughs> That's a great uh, result for Marcos, though. In the semifinals of an event like Tokyo, he beat Felix Auger-Aliassime, who we'll talk about in a second. But uh, Ben is now number 15 in the official ATP rankings. Number 14 in the race, supplanting Francis Tiafo. Marcos was up big on Ben as well in that semifinal and wasn't able to close it out. Mm. 
someone you may not have ever heard of, Shintaro Mochizuki, a Japanese player. He was ranked number t- 215 going into Tokyo, had a huge week, reaches the semifinals, beating three top 50 players, including a top 10 player, Echeverry, Fritz, and Popirin. Uh, he's a former junior world number one, but these are actually his first three wins on the ATP Tour level. I was about to move on to the WTA Tour, and you were like, wait, wait Felix. I'm like, well, I know that it's back-to-back wins for the first time since January 2015, <laughs> but is it really noteworthy here? Uh, I, oh, I'm not celebrating it. I w- I'm just pointing out how absurd this stretch has been. He has less than a 500 record on the year. Mm-hmm. He's not won consecutive matches since Indian Wells. That's in March. And he has a ton of points defending in this stretch. Yeah. So F- Felix could be plummeting down the rankings. He's defending the title in Basel, a semifinal in the Masters event in Paris, and then 200 points from the World Tour Finals last year. You can move on to the WTA side now. Mm. In Tunisia, the second year that this event has been held, this time without home favorite Jabir, a repeat winner in Elisa Mertens. The only person who's ever won this tournament is Elisa Mertens. Beating Jasmine Paolini in the final, somebody who's had a very good year. Mm-hmm. She was also the doubles champion alongside countrywoman Sarah Arani. She's mm-hmm. still out here. She sure is. Ans, you mentioned, wasn't in Monastir, Tunisia this year. She chose to be in Asia instead. Uh, can't really blame her just for logistical reasons. There are more points and money on the table in Asia. And obviously the travel would be killer. Katerina Siniakova been playing very well lately. She beats Marie Boskova to win the Nanchang title. Great stretch for her. She faced Leila Fernandez in the semifinals who actually beat her for the Hong Kong title the previous week. Transylvania, or Cluj-Napoca, continues to be one of the most exciting stops on the WTA Tour, period. Like, they know how to put on a tournament. They have such I mean, a... it happens in October, right. in spooky season. And you're in Transylvania. Like, yeah. you, it has such a sense of place. It's cool. Jacqueline Christian, for the second year in a row, came out on the court in her uh, Dracula cape, to the delight of crowds everywhere, the WTA called her Count Draculine. <laughs> Get it? Of note here, Kirstea lost in the first round. You, lo- you love to see it. Uh, Tammy Korpach was the winner in Cluj-Napoca. You may remember her from such dramas as the Wimbledon doubles uh, with Harmony Tan. That was a whole thing when she got dumped as a doubles partner. <laughs> remember that? Uh, Tammy, this is her first career title. Love it. She beat Romanian Elena Gabriela Ruza. That's just the stuff that happened last week. And then the week prior to that, there's a whole other half page of results to get through. <laughs> All right, let's start with Zhang Qinwen overcoming the immorality, the debasement, the unethical behavior of Wimfaset <laughs> by winning the title in Zhangzhou. Ah, she beat Barbora Krejcikova. I don't know why, but every time I hear her name in my head, let alone speak it out loud, I want to say it in the key, in the song of Angela Bassett did the thing. Oh, that's hard. Babs Krejcikova did the thing. (laughs) (laughs) You got to shorten the Barbara. Okay. Okay, that's good. She almost, she almost did the thing. Babs was going for her third title of the season. She won Dubai and San Diego, of course. She's been in four finals this year total. And that's actually good enough to make her the number one seed in the WTA Elite Trophy in Zhuhai. I will always associate Venus Williams winning this title with that tournament. Yes, I think the first one. Back in 2016, I want to say, or 15? I think 15. But it honestly, it's a it's a great idea and it's a great little tournament. They've had some exceptional winners. Ash Barty won Zhuhai before she became world number one. But we'll we'll get there in a second. 
This is Zhang's second career title, second of the year after winning in Palermo. And as you said, it's right after her public split with Vim Facet. She now moves to a career high number 18. Perhaps top 16 seed by the time Australia rolls around? Could be. In Seoul, Jessica Pagula did the thing. That, that actually fits better. <laughs> Babs, you were doing Barbora. That's why it didn't work, okay? <laughs> Practice it before the next episode when we oh. have to talk about Babs winning Zhuhai, okay? <laughs> this was a, a poignant moment for Jessica. Yes. As you may or may not know, her mom, Kim Pagula, has been dealing with some serious health issues over the past few years, and Jessica hadn't said anything about it until writing about it in the Players' Tribune. Her mom suffered a cardiac arrest. She's the owner of the Buffalo Bills, if, if you weren't aware. They're big celebrities in western New York, where I'm from. But uh, Kim Pagula is from Korea, and Jessica said she was compelled to play Korea and has in the past to honor her mom, but especially this year wanted to win because of all the things that her mom is dealing with health-wise. And she'd been to the orphanage where her mother stayed at. Yes, yes. I say stayed at like it was a hotel. Uh, it really, I imagine, was not that. Right. Well, So maybe the wrong verb. Obviously you didn't... Man, talk about a rags-to-riches story. From an orphanage in Korea to owner of... The Buffalo Bills and billionaire overseer of fracking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the fracking. <laughs> I get every time. I get every time that comes up. I have to. <laughs> of note in Seoul, uh, Yanina Wickmeyer was Jessica's opponent in the final. This woman has been an active player since 2007. She was out of the game for about a year and a half, uh, from 2020 to 22. And so she returned last year. Now, she... Anytime there's an absence during that period, it just... What? Makes me a little bit suspicious. Are you for real? <laughs> what about it? Oh, like like a vaccine skepticism? Yes. Oh, come on. That, now that's slander. You're going to get sued for that. There's no evidence for that. <laughs> but she's now back playing a pretty full schedule at age 34. So it's cool to see her do this. That has really helped her ranking, obviously, making this final. You mentioned previously that in Hong Kong, Leila Fernandez, she won her third career title. And the first one, not just outside of Mexico, but outside of Monterey, because mm-hmm. she defended that title back in the day. This time, she beats Azarenka, Andreeva, Fruvitova, Blinkova. Yeah, knocked out a few of the young up-and-comers. This is a, this is a tough draw. For Hong Kong. Like, this is a really good run. My aunt loves little Layla. She's always asking me what Layla's up to. So now I can say she won her third career title. <laughs> At the top of the show, you mentioned the endless string of Masters 1000 play. Mm-hmm. The most recent one was in Shanghai. And it was won by Ubi Urkacz. The Shanghai tournament had a lot of big upsets in the in the first few days that we talked about on the previous episode. That's how long the tournament was going on. But you get two finalists who have both won Masters before, Horkach and Rublev, and the semifinals are pretty good. They're not, you know, this one through four seeds, but you also have Dimitrov in there and Sebastian Korda, who is reaching his career high ranking. Yeah, Korda has been playing good ball again Mm -hmm. after being out injured for quite a while. Dimitrov, for his part beat Karen Hachanov and Carlos Alcaraz on the way to his fifth semi of the year. Hachanov is an impressive win on this surface at this time of year as a former uh, winner of the Paris Masters. And Carlos, of course, even Carlos is uh, nursing some nagging injuries, but even an injured Carlos is very dangerous, as you know. This is the Grishasans. <laughs> Sure, he has not been able to get the big win, you know, to take the title home, but mm. Grigor has been playing well. Semis in Shanghai, quarters at the China Open, semifinals in Chengdu, a nice little fall stretch. I thought maybe it had gone back a little bit further as scrolling through his results, and then I see that the good results stopped at the U.S. Oh, Open no, but the- <laughs> when he almost was put in the body serve Hall of Shame 
for failing to beat that guy mm. in the third round. He had uh, some good results on clay as well. But he is up to number 17. He's been back in the top 20 since July. And as you mentioned, uh, Sebastian Corda is up to a career-high ranking of number 22 after reaching the semis here. Zhuhai starts this week. As you said, it's the sixth edition and the first since COVID started. The draw, you have written here that it's fantastic. I mean, it's going to be fantastic mm-hmm. because the depth on the WTA Tour is is crazy. So if you didn't make the year-end championships, which are going to be in Cancun, you're eligible to play this tournament. And the field includes number one seed Krejcikova, Samsonova, Kudermatova, Zhongqing Wen, Magdalenet, Zhulin, Ostapenko, Caroline Garcia, Madison Keys, <laughs> right? Madison, who was the uh, a semifinalist at the U.S. Open, of course. You have title winners from this fall: Krejcikova, Kudermatova, Zhang Lynette was a runner-up in Guangzhou. Zhulin was a runner-up in Osaka. Zhulin has had a good year. Yeah, yeah. Did I mention Ostapenko as well? <laughs> What? You did. I thought you were trying to be oh, funny. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> and I think Ostapenko is in the same group as Chin Wen and Donna Vekic. Didn't even mention Donna Vekic mm-hmm. in this tournament. You have written here, and it's something that I noticed independently. This is just how our minds work. We're just so in <laughs> sync. I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. Tennis Channel releases its lineup on Tennis Channel Live for this following week. And it's 10 men and no women. 10. It, the, the great thing is that it was uh, a graphic. all headshots. Yeah, the, they made it's it It's not just so like a list of names. It's just easy. here are the 10 guys who will be commentating on Tennis Channel this week. Not a single woman? Really? Like not one? It, you know what it reminded me of? It was uh, Mitt Romney's Binders of Women. Remember? Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I have binders of women who would be fit for these jobs. This was like a binder of men. The uh, camellia group, that's how it's said, right? They're all flowers. Why are you asking me I don't know anything about flowers. It's like you want me to be part... No, because your mom knows flowers. Oh, that's why? <laughs> you just want me to catch the, the stray as well, in case it's wrong. Anyway, the group with Keys, Haddad, Maya, and Garcia is super interesting. Garcia has actually resuscitated her year. Rehu? Yeah. Over the past few weeks, she's been playing much better than she has. And Madison against Beatrice is interesting to me. I'd like to see it. And we will. You were flummoxed at Caroline's position in this tournament. Wow. Seated nine in the second tier finals. When only last year. It was last year, right? That she won? Yeah, she beat Sabalenka last year, didn't she? Yes, uh, very recently. She was ranked number four for a lot of this year, and man, did not did not back up that ranking. Tennis life comes at you fast. It sure does. I mean, she's still able to qualify for this tournament. What is Felix qualifying for mm-hmm. you know what, this tournament? You know what also comes at you fast? What? Serves when you're standing on the service line <laughs> to return. That's that's what comes at you fast. Maybe Maybe think about that. Well, I'm going to stop. That was a very mean thing I said about Felix just now. Oh, well, I said something mean too, so. <sighs> Guess who's back? Back again. <laughs> uh, oh, that's an Eminem song. I, w- I thought it was Backstreet Boys. And Boris Becker, B-B, Backstreet Boys. Backstreet's back. All right. Becker's back. He is. Holger Runa hires Boris Becker as coach. This is big. Uh, Boris's most recent exploits. He was released from a UK prison early and deported this past December after serving eight months of his two and a half year sentence. He's banned from entering the UK until October 2024. So, if this is a long-term partnership, he will not be able to physically be with Holger during the grass season next year. Mm-hmm. Unless mm, it's in... Well, let's look out for that. If it's in Halle. If it's oh. in other parts of Germany. Mm-hmm. We'll see what Holger's schedule is next year. But he will not be at Wimbledon. Unless unless the UK revokes the order. Which I suppose is possible. But for now, it's October 2024. The UK has this program where 
foreign nationals who are convicted of crimes, they do try to release and deport them as early as they can to reduce strain on British resources, of course. Boris was imprisoned for bankruptcy fraud, allegedly lying and hiding money during bankruptcy proceedings. Is it alleged anymore? If he was oh, convic- no, convicted? Yeah. Yeah. You can say, say it with your a, full chest. It's just a knee jerk. Criminal. It's not alleged. He was convicted convic- criminal. <laughs> Boris Becker. <laughs> now, I, in principle, am really, really in favor of uh, reducing the prison population to almost nothing. So that's great. I am always interested at tennis's welcoming back with open arms. Tennis is a very conservative sport, a very buttoned-up sport, but they have done everything they can to make it a smooth landing for Boris Becker. It's almost surprising that it took this long. Yeah. Holger is not in a great space, as you know. He was suffering from a bulging disc in his back. I, having had experience with this exact injury, urged, urged rest. We know. And good medical advice. You know, famous people often get really bad health care because doctors will do basically anything they want. Being an athlete is different, of course, but the athlete ultimately makes the decision whether or not to play. So I do hope that Holger is back in fighting shape because he is back on the court. He unfortunately has gone one in seven since Wimbledon. And who was his only win in that stretch (sighs) against? You know, I said I was going to stop being mean to Felix, but it's just a fact. His only win in this stretch has been against Felix. Holger plays Ketsmanovic uh, on Tuesday, who beat him last week. So this will be his first match with Boris as coach. So we will see what happens. Zumba instructor Garbini Muguruza tells us that she has no plans currently to return to tennis. <laughs> We've seen her living her life all over social media since she announced her break from tennis. And it doesn't appear that a return is imminent at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many times I've said this at work? It's not a never. It's just a not now. Who are you telling that to? Well, I can't tell you. That's for con- a raise? That's confidential. As an HR person, is it for a raise? It could be any number of things. <laughs> a promotion? <laughs> You're not painting yourself in a very good light here. <laughs> she told Women's Health, quote, As of today, I have no intention to return. My plan right now is to sleep, rest, be with my loved ones, make up for lost time. I don't look beyond what I'm doing today, tomorrow, and this week. Tennis has no place in my routine. I'm really taking a real break and trying to stay away from the courts. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because in July, a lot of outlets reported that Muguruza confirmed that she would return in 2024. And to be fair, she did imply that she would be back in 24. Now she's not willing to, to set a timeline at all. It seems like she's really finding this time away from tennis restorative. She must have some, just some tough memories that she needs to like decouple from tennis. I mean, she could very well still be back at some point in 2024. Mm-hmm. Maybe even in Australia, who knows? Right. But as of right now... And she said she's staying in excellent shape. Like, she's doing this Zumba thing for real. It's not just a lark. She's actually an instructor. She's staying in great shape, but she did admit, like, it's hard to stay in playing shape as a professional tennis player. You This snuck into the agenda, and I don't, I don't recall seeing this. What? This was news to me. You have here that Venus won't be returning until March 2024? Yes. She said that on her social media. Oh. Venus only releases news now either on YouTube or through uh, a corporate keynote speech. <laughs> what was the context? What did she say exactly? Uh, the context, I don't know. She was talking to this white lady. I don't know who she was. Sorry, did not do my reporting here. You know, the, the spill that she took at Wimbledon was really bad. The injury lingered longer than she expected. She needs until, she thinks, until March of next year to recover from these injuries and be fully fit. So she said she's not playing the Australia. And so that would line up with Indian Wells and Miami, potentially. Right. Or That's the only thing really happening in March. Right. So we have uh, 
one fewer player who's going to be fighting for those coveted Australian Open wild cards. Possibly two with Garbinia. Right. If Garbinia never comes back to the sport, she is a player who beat each Williams sister for a Grand Slam title. That is something to be seriously proud of. I hope she comes back, but again, it's like, this is kind of our motto at this point. Whatever makes you happy. She's 30 years old. She's won 10 WTA titles. First reached world number one in September of 2017. That was the year that she beat Venus at Mm -hmm. Wimbledon. Yep. Still not happy about it. (laughs) She's made four slam finals, winning the 2016 French Open, beating Serena there, winning the 2017 Wimbledon, beating Venus there, and then two further finals at the 2015 French Open, at Wimbledon in 2015, and the Australian Open in 2020. Do you remember during the pandemic, well, the start of that year and then continuing on when the tour resumed, that she was playing really good ball? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She won the WTA Finals in 2021, of course. And this sounds like a career post-mortem. It's not. <laughs> Just some some details about Garbinia, if she chooses not to come back. The Western and Southern Open, the Cincinnati Masters, will remain in Mason, Ohio. It will have a different title sponsor, but that whole scandal, that whole hullabaloo, the second time I'm using that word, <laughs> this episode whereby the tournament could have possibly moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. That will not be happening. The tournament will stay put. They signed a 25-year commitment to keep the tournament in Mason. (laughs) And you have here stated, after bilking enough public money to stay. Yeah, let's just be 100 here. Because this is not where you're going to get from the press releases. In 2022, let's start back there. Ben Navarro, who owns BMOC Capital, bought the Cincinnati tournament. He outbid uh, Western and Southern, actually, to purchase the tournament. Earlier this year, as you know, BMOC Capital said, we want to move to Charlotte. Cincinnati, what are you going to do for us? And so then there was kind of a bidding war. Ohio, the state of Ohio, pledged $50 million. Warren County, Ohio, pledged 50 And Mason, Ohio itself is putting up $30 million, all taxpayer money, of course. So that's $130 million of public money. For a total of $260 million public and private dollars to expand the Lindner Family Tennis Center. And of the deal, Ben Navarro said, quote, the passion and commitment of this community to keep the tournament here was an undeniable factor in our decision to stay. This Please. Is, oh god, this is so grating to me. What just be real. You needed this community to give up public money in order for you to keep the tournament here. And actually Charlotte pledged close to a hundred million dollars in public money, came up with close to the the total that Mason, Ohio did altogether. And apparently Charlotte was unaware that a decision had even been made until it was made and made public. They're pretty far along in their negotiations. All the stuff about this has been so self-congratulatory and like, oh, you know, we're so impressed by Mason's commitment. No, you're impressed by the money from taxpayers that they were willing to put up for a private enterprise. How much of this money going forward, how much of the profits that you make in the next 25 years will go back? To the local community. Mm. And don't just say, oh, well, a tournament of this magnitude will necessarily jumpstart the economy, infuse millions of dollars into the economy, because Applebee's is no longer there. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Case closed. I I understand that this is how sports work, that, you know, the public-private partnerships. every uh, big stadium that's being built, you have a stadium built in 2000. Well, we need a new one. We need a new mm-hmm. one. And we need the city to pay for it. Exactly. If it, not half, 75%. You know? Yeah. It just really gets on my nerves. I hate this, this arrangement. 
this is a private enterprise. Why should we have to pay for it? But that's how it works. I get it. The CEO of Western and Southern, John Barrett, actually wrote an op-ed for the Cincinnati Inquirer, which was clearly just a press release, where he said, uh, you know, we're so lucky to to host this tournament again and yada, yada, yada. But he said elsewhere that, you know, Western and Southern will no longer be the title sponsor and that it'll be another company who, A, is not from Ohio and B, is putting up way more money than we did. Mm, fun. <laughs> In other grimy tennis business news, Slytherin Craig is back at it again. Wow, I saw you tweet that on the corporate account. Lying all over the place. Craig Tiley... He simply does not rest with the bullshit. No, this was so funny. Okay, he was doing a live interview with Channel 9 in Australia. He was asked about Naomi Osaka's return. And he said, yeah, Naomi, a lot of people will be back. Quote, we can announce exclusively here that Rafa will be back. In talking to him over the last few days, he confirmed he will be back. A day later, Rafa tweets, quote, I appreciate the vote of confidence from the Australian Open. I am practicing every day and working hard to come back ASAP. Vote of confidence. Mm -hmm. Meaning, what does that mean, James? Meaning that he himself is not ready to confirm his return at the Australian Open. But it got more unequivocal as the week went on. Through his spokesman, and as per Stuart Fraser, he said, quote, We have seen the reports and comments But as of today, we wouldn't be able to confirm. Rafa said in an interview, quote, I was the first one to be surprised because I don't even know it myself after hearing the announcement that he'd be playing the Australian Open. So what is the truth, Craig? Now, you know, listeners, that we, not only will we almost never give Novak Djokovic any bit of grace, But we will almost always go the opposite direction, full force. But one can see how maybe Craig Tiley misrepresented a few things in that whole deportation scandal. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, sure. Let's go there. Novak surely suffered from the outcome of that whole mess, right? Craig did not. You don't even have to like him to acknowledge that... Novak had something to lose, and he lost it. Craig... Well, he rose three days later, and he's been unstoppable since. Yes. But Craig Tiley had a large part in sort of obscuring and and muddying the requirements for entering Australia. He assured Novak, who supposedly is a close friend of his, that, no, no, we've we've already got uh, the permit. You can enter Australia. It's cleared with the state even though immigration is the federal domain. So he misrepresented Australian law, whether he knew it or not. And then in in the ensuing chaos, after he was denied entry to Australia, Craig distanced himself as much as possible and said, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything. And so to this day, like, Craig Tiley has obviously turned the Australian Open into a huge destination and a tournament that players and fans love. But he has been allowed to make like these massive mistakes without consequences. And this, on the scale of mistakes, is fairly low, but it, it's a very amateur kind of huckster mistake, right? Promising something you can't promise. And lying and said, you've spoken to Rafa, and Rafa said he's definitely coming back. When Rafa himself said, mm, no, I didn't say that. No, I, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's entirely intentional. Mm. I think it's designed to sell tickets. That's the bottom line. He didn't know that he was going to be called out Who's going to hear that? Well, yeah. When 70-year-old Betty and Stephen <laughs> buy their week passes, or oh, we're going to see Rafa that week come hell or high water... Where are they getting Rafa's yeah. rebuttal from? Yeah, that's true. Once he puts it out into the the news sphere, into the public, everybody runs with it. And the yeah. headlines, you, how many times do you see a headline? And then a couple of weeks later, you're like, oh, I saw this a couple of weeks ago. Like, yeah, that's happening, right? That's, yeah. that's how no, that that's, works. That's and that's the design of it. He's not going to be held accountable. Who's going to come back to him and say... Well, Rafa actually said this, da 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 And then in, in January, if Rafa does not show up and he's asked about it, 
what then? Tickets have already been bought. It's not something that's able to hold up in court. It's not <laughs> prosecutable. No. You know? Like, he's a, he's a slithering person. This is what he does. And in January, he'll say, well, you know, we really can't control how quickly a player recovers from injury. These are... He can't control injuries. Talk to God. <laughs> If you do get a chance, watch that interview because I I just found it sort of fascinating and how he maneuvered because he was not asked about Rava specifically. And so when he mentioned that, I wasn't sure if it was calculated or if he was like saying off the top of his head, like as if, can I get away with this? Mm. It was interesting. I wish Tiffany Pollard were a tennis fan and that she would read him, <laughs> read him down. That's what I would love. I think Reptilian would come in there somehow. The Australian Open had, I'll say, a few party fouls, a few missteps this week. First was the announcement that they will be having a Sunday start. They'll be expanding to 15 days for the singles draw, and I don't like it. The Sunday start, I feel like, dilutes the first round. It reduces the value of a first-round ticket. They can spin it and say, we're adding extra tickets for fans who really want to come. Like, there's more opportunity to see your favorite players. I just don't like it. And then they introduced uh, what they call a party court. There's going to be the AO courtside bar directly beside court six, where they're going to have DJs, food, drinks, entertainment, and it'll fit up to 400 spectators. It just seems sort of annoying to me. I'm just an old fuddy-duddy, I guess. No, but picture it. This is tennis, right? Like, it's supposed to be quiet. Picture it. Flushing Meadows, 2023. (laughs) Yes. Our experience this year with navigating the grounds. Mm. Where would that have worked on that side? Right. It's almost like putting it next to court. Well, they're court six, right? Well, not not a specific court. I'm just saying there's so much action going around Mm. the grounds already that this just not only seems superfluous, but... An added hazard. Yeah. Is it needed for the fan experience? They have said they're adding a lot more shade in the main oval, which is great. Mm. Shade is what fans need. I hope they... They don't need a party court. I hope they consulted their wet bulbs (laughs) before making that decision. I just don't want it to be like that golf tournament where, like, they throw beer cans on the grass. Oh, the waste management open. Yes. Oh, you know so much about golf now because you watched that one... Documentary. I didn't know what it was called, but I was absolutely flummoxed it's the Phoenix when tournament. I saw it. Yeah, the waste management is right. Serena Williams announces a two-book deal with Random House. The first is a memoir, and the second, a, quote, inspirational book in which Serena will, quote, offer rules for living that draw on her experiences as a philanthropist and advocate. Her career as an investment unicorn with Serena Ventures. Shall not be bound. I had to to look up what investment unicorn meant. It's a thing? It is, yeah. Tell us. So unicorn is a startup company that's valued over $1 billion. But in this context, I really don't know what they mean. Like, Mm. is Serena the unicorn? Or is Serena Ventures a unicorn? Anyway, Google, for example, was a a unicorn. Because it was valued so highly when it went public. I'm afraid that Serena is squarely in her capitalist era. She is. So I will be reading book one. Will you? The, what will it reveal? Well, really? she's. I've already read her memoir, but that was a long time ago. With the picture in her in the front looking like a 40-year-old auntie? Yes. That was that was her auntie era. In her mid-twenties. Sure. But <laughs> she's had a lot of eras. She's like, like Madonna, okay? Um, I'll be reading the memoir, definitely, but... I don't, I don't know. I'm not really into inspirational books and certainly not books about investing. Hmm. Let's drag somebody else. Naomi Osaka. <laughs> oh, wow. This is so interesting. Naomi Osaka and a number of other celebrities, including Kendall Jenner. Excuse me? Ken- Kendall Jenner. That's what I said. No, you said Kendall Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what people call her. Oh, I did not it's know funny. that. funny. I did not know um, that. I think it's Candle. I thought you were just keeping me on my toes. No. Uh, So a number of celebrities, including Naomi, have sold... Essentially, they've sold themselves, their likeness and voice, to Meta 
for a two-year deal, and Meta is going to be building AI chatbots based on this person's likeness. Meta being Facebook, essentially. Right, right. Mark Zuckerberg's company. And so Naomi's will be called Tamika. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we got to Tamika, but it's cute. Um, because she's sister of Jamika. Oh, oh God. No, that did not, that, that did not occur to you? No. <laughs> uh, apparently, Candle sold her likeness for, or maybe it was Kylie. I can't remember. I don't, I don't know who's who. Sold it for $5 million, which to me is not nearly enough. That's when, it. When you have that much stinking money, why? Why do you need to do that? Well, yeah, but also, why Why does this need to exist at all? A, I mean, I will be the first to admit, AI freaks me out. It really scares me. I think AI becoming available to everybody is going to fundamentally change how we understand reality. Mm. And like, you know, they say rely on the evidence of your eyes and ears. That That will be playing tricks on us forever, right? For the rest of our lives. And so I think it's a fundamental shift in how we interact with the world. Now, some people find that exciting. I'm going like the kind of dystopian sci-fi route and I find it terrifying. But why, as a famous person, would you want your likeness, a, a thing that looks and sounds like you, why would you want that out there? Because think of all the horrible things it could be used for. Right, but it's, oh, I have my own cute avatar and oh she speaks uh, and i get five million dollars oh let's do it but five million dollars is not a lot to these people it's not like if somebody came to us and said let's do a body serve ai chatbot and we'll give you five million dollars okay i mean the stakes are high then right no i'd consider that i'd be like you know what podcast maybe ruined might have to retire (laughs) so be it i got money in the bank but like these people again, hundreds of millions of dollars. Right, the it's a drop in like the bucket. Billionaires. Like, do you do it and consider it your like private tax account to pay the tax bill next year? I don't, do. They pay taxes <laughs> when you make that much money. I don't know. Anyway, it's so weird to me. Maybe someone can explain it to me. This may seem a little bit tangential, off topic, but we'll bring it back to the tennis. Diana Nyad, legendary long distance swimmer. She rescinds her support for the anti-trans movement. She's removed herself from Women's Sports Working Group's list of supporters. She said that she has, quote, come to understand that the science is far more complex than I thought, and there are clearly more educated experts than I who are creating policy to ensure that elite sports are both fair and inclusive of all women. I regret weighing in on that conversation and any harm I may have caused. All women are negatively affected by the ways transgender women are targeted by discrimination and abuse in sports and elsewhere. And that she's now, quote, firmly on the side of inclusion. This is a huge shift. The Women's Sports Working Group, uh, if you don't know, is this group that was founded to allegedly promote fairness for women in sports. Martina Navratilova is on the board one of the co-founders, there is a dazzling list of supporters, right? Including Sanya Richards-Ross, who's a track legend and also on Real Housewives of Atlanta, uh, Pam Shriver, Chris Evert, Diana Nyad was on that list, and she's no longer. And so my optimistic side is like, wow, you know, people can still sort of learn new things and change their mind, and we must give people the space to do that. Because this was unequivocal. If you were to craft a renouncement as full-throatedly as this, you'd be challenged to achieve it. Right. And the part that really got me was that she said all women are negatively affected by the ways transgender women are targeted by discrimination. This is something that trans people and many of their supporters, including us, have been saying for years that all women suffer. And then there is the more cynical perspective. <laughs> yes. So why would this be an opportune time to make that statement? Diana Nyad has a film coming out, a biopic, where she is played by none other than Annette Benning. It's gotten a lot of Oscar buzz, and it's coming out shortly. 
Mm-hmm. So the timing of this announcement ahead of that it has to be considered. Right. Right. She may have had a kind of a come to Jesus moment and changed her mind on her own. However, the timing is uh, suspect uh, because the movie is literally coming out this week. Like it's in theaters in Toronto now. Uh, oh, it also stars two time Academy Award Julianne winner Moore. Jodie Foster. Oh. <laughs> That's a misinformation. <laughs> Jodie Foster. I got the J right. And Annette Benning famously has been nominated for Best Actress a number of times, and she's trying to win her first. At this point, it doesn't appear that she will win the Oscar. Many things could change. Okay, but, but who is the frontrunner? Lily Gladstone from the Scorsese movie, possibly mm. Emma, what's her name? Emma Stone from the Yorgos Lanthimos movie. I mean, it's very, very, very early. Okay. But you know how biopics go. They couldn't pick up steam. The other thing about Diana Nyad that we didn't mention is that she's sort of a controversial figure because she's been accused many times of lying. Even in the out, uh, I think it was out.com in the story, they called her the first woman who reported swimming from Cuba to Florida. Not the first woman who did it. Because there are questions about some of her most famous achievements. Right, because there's... Yeah, I recently read this long story, I don't remember where it was from, where it talked about the kind of the community of long-distance swimmers views her with a lot of skepticism. Right. I You read O.com, I read Vanity Fair. The organization is called WOWSA, W-O-W-S-A. Okay. And they refused to certify the swim in 2022, and again, just recently, upheld that decision. Mm-hmm. And so, subsequently, according to Vanity Fair... Guinness World Records has removed that achievement of Dan and Nyad from swim of swimming from Florida to Cuba or Cuba to Florida, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Cuba to Florida. from their record book because for whatever reason, and I haven't gone into the weeds of it, there is doubt. Well, because there's not footage of the whole thing, uh, she's been accused of <laughs> holding on to the boat. She once said that she was the swims. first person to swim around Manhattan, and in fact, she was the seventh. Uh, just a fascinating person is Diana Nyad because she is no doubt an accomplished swimmer, but she seemed um, historically to have this need to embellish her accomplishments. Apparently the film itself paints her in like a fairly honest light. Mm. I think Vulture said it paints the protagonist as an insufferable egomaniac, which is unusual for a lot of biopics. More important to me, This discussion and this discourse now is instructive of the machinery of Hollywood and the lead-up to Oscar season. Yeah. And that's where I think this apology... If you're being cynical and you're viewing this with skepticism, I think that's where that would fit in. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want this controversy, this scandal, that's going to... Get a lot of eyes and new ears on it when this this film comes out. And if it's received with rapturous applause by critics, people are going to dig deeper. Right. And so for her to distance herself from that note, that gives the film an easier, smoother path toward Oscar glory. <laughs> yes. That's the full That's the full cynicism of it. Mm-hmm. And biopics always come up against this. And sometimes it's kind of dumb, like... We have arguments about how faithful a film is to that person's true story. It helps if they're dead. Like, if you want to win an Oscar for playing someone, it really helps if they're dead. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what surprised me is that the fact that this is considered a more palatable opinion than the opposite, that surprised me. Because I do, I still feel very much in the minority in supporting trans women. And I know we've said this many times, like not everybody, maybe even a majority of our listeners don't support trans women playing in women's sports. And I'm not trying to convert you here, but I think that it's become a very toxic and dangerous cultural place for trans women in general. Just Mm -hmm. not even having to do with sports, just living life. Uh, We had maybe like two years where there was genuine progress and now we're, we're back in a really toxic space. So the fact that Diana Nyad coming out and saying I am for inclusion, 
that being seen as like a good PR move is like kind of encouraging to me. Right. But a good PR move in the space that this movie inhabits, Mm -hmm. that this movie needs to to move through, to navigate through. In Hollywood, I imagine this will play well Hmm. and fuck everything else. Yeah. That was just a very surprising headline today. Yeah, it it was just one of those headlines that had a lot more layers to it. Right. But if these words get circulated and cause people to think more or change their opinion, whatever, what have you, if it has some net positive effect as far as we're concerned, then who cares? What what do I care if this is in service of a film? Mm -hmm. You know? Speaking of inclusion... Or lack thereof. Just like Tennis Channel Live. (laughs) You like that segue? Yes. The WTA released the results of their elections. The WTA, well, let's start at the beginning, just as a quick refresher. The WTA is made up of a board that has equal numbers of tournament representatives and player representatives. At this point, we have four each. On the board is also the CEO, Steve Simon. And the ITF head, David Haggerty, who was just recently re-elected in his own organization. Now, the tournament reps and the player reps are beholden to the tournament council and the players council, respectively. So those councils have their own elections. People like Jessica Pagula, Vika Azarenka, Sloan Stevens, that's the players council. The players council has these representatives on the board who are meant to kind of do their bidding. So anyway... The WTA released the full slate of who's on their board, the councils, everything. All four of their tournament representatives are men. And on the tournament council, there are 12 members, and one of them is a woman. One of 12. Like, what are we doing here? This is the premier women's sporting organization in the world. This is the WTA. The Women's Tennis Association. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about, like who has power in a sporting org the superstars are women of course who works in the front office who has ownership who has decision making power the players have a council but their council is only half of the wta board right or their reps are only half disappointing to say the least yeah i know so much of this is structural it's not like oh let's find a woman to elect it's who has the ability to rise in this industry, who owns tournaments, etc. But it is very disappointing. Before we end this episode, a couple of housekeeping notes. We are forever planning ahead for a switch away from Twitter or X or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. The writing's been on the wall. It's been the social media platform that we've used most to interact with listeners, to promote the show. And it just feels like a dying medium at this point. It has for a while. Now, I'm not giving up my goal of getting to 5,000 followers. (laughs) I think when we do that, we'll just dip after that. It's not going to be like that. (laughs) I will tell you, there is no reality in which I pay money to create content for a company. Can you imagine? Crazy. The users are the content creators, but we're also supposed to pay. That means your business model does not work. We've dabbled with Instagram threads. It's not going to be that. It seems like the most viable option at the moment is Blue Sky. And we have a few invites. We've given away a few on Twitter recently. Apparently they regenerate after a few weeks. So in theory, over the next... However long, we'll have invites between the three accounts, my personal, your personal, and the company account, to invite people to join us on Blue Sky. Mm -hmm. So reach out via email, thebodyserve at gmail.com, or DM us on any social media platform that you're able to find us on, linktree.com slash thebodyserve, and we will either give you one right away or put you in queue. Cute. I wish we, uh, we had like a little bit of Roxidue stats so those red blood cells could regenerate <laughs> faster, you know? You are, so those invites could that regenerate was faster. Unnecessarily messy. I had to hold that one while you were talking, too. <laughs> while I was yappa, 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 yappa. <laughs> and then we've decided on our topic 
or subject for our next history episode. Right. We're not going to tell you, though, right? No. But it, it will span the late 70s into the late 80s. The hope is that in going through this fertile era of tennis, that not only will we, will we be able to come up with this episode, this one that we're actively working on, but it'll also open up some other ideas for us to do other episodes as well and make those easier to record. All right. Should we put a time time limit on that? When when can folks expect to to hear that episode? Because I feel that's that's an important part oh. in holding us to the fire and getting sure. it done. But we have not discussed it. So we'll have to do obviously WTA finals, ATP World Tour finals, maybe somewhere in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Or after I don't know. Within the next month? Sure. Do you think we can do that? My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. Again, find everything body serve related at linktree.com slash the body serve. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>